Welcome to episode 77 of For the Love of Guns. My name's Jason Schaller, and it's my pleasure to welcome Rob Pincus to the show. Now, you may know Rob from different areas of the firearm industry. You may know him for 2A advocacy. You may know him for training. You may know him in law enforcement. Or if you're really special, you may know him in manufacturing. Regardless of how you know Rob, there's one thing you just absolutely need to know about him. Is it he challenges you to think. Don't just accept what someone else's creed is. He wants you to come up with your own. Now, sometimes it's controversial. Sometimes you just might go, that just makes sense. Now, before we talk to Rob, it's time to pay the bills. And this episode is brought to you by Falco Holsters. Falco makes custom handmade holsters to your specifications. And they do it in 10 days. That's right, in about 10 days, you'll get your holster made to your specifications. And the one thing about Falco, it's any gun for every budget without compromising quality. If you're in the market for a leather holster, definitely think of Falco holsters and use the code Banshee at checkout to save 10%. Now with the bills paid, let's talk to Rob. Rob, tell me about your love of guns. I am Rob Pincus. I'm the executive director of Personal Defense Network, the uh, vice president of Second Amendment Organization, and also the vice president of Avidity Arms, uh, as well as a few other things. I've been in the firearms industry formally since 1997, and I left full-time law enforcement in 2001 to make uh, defensive, primary defensive shooting education my full-time career. Um, so I've uh, been around for a little while in the gun industry and the instructing side of it mostly, um, but I, I've been involved in manufacturing and marketing and magazines and TV shows and training DVDs, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm glad you could make some time. It's it's really great that we could make this work out. I mean, you know, I when I first learned about you was actually from training DVDs mm -hmm. um, back in the day. There, it's, and it was just so, so funny, you know, thinking about where you, you where you've come in your career. I mean, you're a public speaker, a trainer, an author, a two A advocate. I mean, you've got so many things. I mean, even just scheduling this. Uh, we were, you know, sending messages back and forth. And like, yeah, I'm just coming back into the country. Um, and that happened twice. I mean, you, you're you all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on all the time. I, I tend to say yes a lot and uh, doesn't always work out. But if somebody asks, you know, hey, can you do this? You know, either either I, you know, the nice thing now is, is I've got a great team around me. Um, I've got great teams around me. So, you know, if it's an educational thing, if, you know, somebody wants a medical class, I mean, I can teach you how to put a tourniquet on, but I'm not a medical guy. But through Personal Defense Network, we've got a whole bunch of guys who are great you know, educators, it's, then it becomes, well, is this for law enforcement? Is it for civilian? Is it, is it specifically gunshot wounds? You know, is it for treating others? Is it for treating yourself? We can really um, provide a lot of different services, whether it's under my training company's banner, ICE training company, or through Personal Defense Network. And then, you know, on the, on the marketing side or the media side, it's, you know, is it, is it media to teach people about active shooter response or is it media to do gun rights stuff and talk about, you know, the attacks on ghost guns or something. 
Um, you know, the, probably the only thing I really don't have any a big claim to fame in in the gun community is competition shooting. You know, there, there's so many amazing competition shooters that are my friends, and I've just never been that good of a shooter. Uh, never been that willing to to focus in on like I'm just going to get good at, at this part or that part. And uh, you know, I, I took a few local and maybe state level plaques uh, back in the '90s, but competition shooting is not something I really got into in, in any significant way. But otherwise, I've tried to have a a role to play in uh, most of what we do in the gun community. Well, it's funny as I think about uh, your schedule now and all the organizations that you've either worked for or worked with or have done work with, um, when would you ever have time to do competition shooting? I mean, I just can't see that you would actually be able to shoehorn that in. Yeah, that's, you know, it, 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 that's one of the things about it. It takes so much time to be good, you know, and, and it's kind of, it, yeah. it's almost, people are like, well, you're afraid to lose. Well, I mean, I'm not afraid to lose. Trust me, anybody who's, who's gone, you know, I'll, I'll lose a signed dollar bill to a buddy at Sporting Clays or, or a steel challenge type thing or long distance shooting. I'll do that. But you can actually, people go to my YouTube. Um, one of my buddies, Jeff Abraham, who runs Not Right Shooters, because he's very proudly left-handed out of Atlanta. He and I did a series of uh, long range uh, rifle competitions because I do really enjoy long range rifle shooting and he's a great competitive shooter and uh, we I posted all we did the best out of three and uh, I won't won't spoil the ending for you I guess but you kind of see where it's going I did post all three yeah. videos to my YouTube channel of the three competitions I'm not afraid to lose um, what I am afraid to do is get people confused right I've always said you know my, if you ask people today you know everybody knows that there's a huge shift in the gun community like why do you own guns and one of the greatest studies that sort of reveals it is if you look at a, a magazine that's been around for you know 50 years and there's a couple of them out there you can look at their advertising space right like what percentage of the advertising space in the magazine was devoted to you know hunting products versus competition products versus yeah. um, non-gun products versus uh, defensive products and that chart, uh, it's really pretty darn clear that after 1990s and then certainly in the last decade, uh, 15, 20 years, the vast majority of the advertising, which was almost non-existent in the 1950s and 60s, has switched to defensive-oriented stuff. And that's what I do. You know, I, I teach people armed defense stuff, whether it's the, the shooting part or advise on how to carry the gun or, or how to keep the gun in the fight or which ammunition to choose, you know, quick access safes, you know, is a big deal for, for staging defensive guns in yep. home, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it is, that's what I do. So, and competition shooting is a game and I get it. There's a lot of guys that you might go to for defensive firearms instruction who also play the games but they're playing of the games, the good ones, a guy like, you know, a buddy of mine like Rob Latham or Mike Seeklander, you know, these guys will tell you these are completely different things. And what I found, especially, you know, 20 years ago, so few people coming into the gun world really understand the difference that to, to be a defensive shooting instructor who also spends a lot of time doing competition shooting muddies the waters even further. So I've really kind of turned away from, from the competition stuff and, and really focused on the defensive training. Uh, but that doesn't mean I won't, you know, shoot for, for who buys the drinks uh, with my buddies on the range and generally end up buying the drinks. But that's okay. See, I, I love that you brought that up about competition shooting because, you know, for me, um, when I shoot either uh, IPSC or, well, actually, I haven't shot IPSC in a really long time, but USPSA, you know. Yeah, I don't think they do that anymore it, here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It gives you some skills, 
but it's not realistic, right? Okay, sure, I have a wall that I can't shoot and I got to go around, but it's snow fence. I can still see my target and I'm already planning my, my engagement out of that target. Whereas if I look at a home defense, I can't see through that wall. I don't know what's on the other side of it. Um, that is a completely different skill set. I mean, yes, I still have trigger press, sight alignment. You know, the fundamentals are still there, but the mindset is different between competition and, well, let's face it, saving your life. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to get that conceptual, right? It's because, oh, I imagine I'm in fear for my life. You know, it's not even that conceptual. It's, it comes down to technique, right? If you think about like clearing a plate rack, there's no application to clearing a plate rack in defensive yeah. shooting. You can pretend, you can rationalize, you can make some stuff up. But unless you're trying to put one bullet into one of each of five gang members who happen to be tied in the line to one another because they were doing, you know, swift rotter rescuers. I don't know how they ended up they're doing three legged race. I don't how I don't know how they're there that yeah. you're just swinging through them. And it's not training for a moving target. It's not training for multiple real bad guy targets where you're going to shoot them until they go down because you don't even know what's going on over here until you're done. And then you're going to find them, you know, unless you're training as an assassin, um, you know, shooting that target, swinging over here and shooting that target has no application. So it really is different techniques. And for some people, they don't see it. They just don't get it. Um, other people don't want to admit it because they're they're very proud of their ability to shoot that target, swing over here and shoot that target. And it looks cool on the Instagram. So they they sort of make the unfortunately naive consumer in some cases think that that matters. And those are really not defensive shooting skills. Um, it, it, I talk a lot about shooting and driving. You know, you could if I said, hey, you got to design a car, go, I'll give you one hundred thousand dollars. You go get a car to beat me in a race. Um, I'm going to spend one hundred thousand dollars too. And uh, let's meet, you know, at this location, we're going to race at noon on that day, go spend your $100,000 and get your car ready. And you go off to do that. And then you show up. You better hope you get lucky, right? Because if you spend $100,000 yeah. on a drag racing car, and I tell you it's a rally race, you got a problem. If I tell you it's a rally race, and it turns out it's um, autocross, you got a problem, right? It's like, so same yeah. thing, just because you're a good shooter doesn't really mean anything. Just cause something has a good, is a good gun doesn't really mean anything unless you say good shooter in what way or, or a good gun for what purpose. Yeah. I, I, and I think that is so misunderstood about our industry. Um, people, it, it, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, you know, watching competition shooting, it's sexy, it's fun. It, it, things are popping up, things are happening, but that has, I love that you're the way you're talking about it. that has nothing to do with my everyday carry, right? I mean, even when I go to shoot competition, I have, you know, I have a SIG P320X5 with a red dot, and uh, that doesn't translate over to my SIG, you know, P3, uh, P365, you know, that with iron sights, you know, I have a long slide versus a small gun. I mean, one has there's there's a piece of really does but it is contextually and physically it's different yeah 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 exactly there's there there's a small portion that does translate over and that's why it, one thing i don't like about uh, about our industry is you know seeing I, I love seeing new gun owners um you know going through the past few years we've seen a, a very big increase of new gun owners but the problem is, is that they bought their gun, they bought their one box of shells. Maybe they shot that one box of shells, or maybe they didn't. 
um, they're not ready. You know, they bought it for defense. They're not ready for defense. You know, just owning the object, it doesn't mean you're successful. There's the skills that go with that object to make you successful. If you go out and buy a race gun and go out and shoot steel and all that stuff, great. It still doesn't translate. Uh, you know, again, you know, trigger, you know, trigger pull, say alignment. Yeah, you know, there are some skills that go over. It just doesn't work. And that's that's what I love about about what you're talking about. We need to get get out of this thing of just because I'm successful here doesn't mean I'm going to be successful over here. You know, if I'm a successful shooter at the range, doesn't mean I'm going to be a successful shooter if I need to save my life. Um, you know, uh, like they say, and it, and it doesn't the, mean um, that you won't. Right. I was going to yeah. say, and it doesn't mean that you won't be right. So, so you've got we right. have these people want things to be simple. And and honestly, you know, yeah. sorry, it's, it's it's I'm 50 years old now. I've I figured out at least that things aren't always that simple, not nearly as simple as you want them to be. Yeah. And um, that nuance is hard for people, right? So the idea that we can all, we can find a couple of different things very, very, very quickly, right? We all have these magic computers in our hands that we we can get on the, the magic web and we can find out within 30 seconds, someone who had no training and no experience with a gun was able to defend themselves successfully from a lethal threat with a gun. And we can also very quickly, within 30 seconds, easily find a story of where the armed professional, right, the guy who had been through the training and had the uniform and all that stuff, failed to use his gun uh, to defend himself or somebody else and, and was killed, in fact. So it is not, there are no absolutes here, right? Yes. But what I think we have to understand is the, the responsibility that we have as an individual and the responsibility we have as a community, and they're different. Um, they overlap. But we, I, I think most individuals... Um, as you say, um, come into it genuinely when they want to get a gun for defense, wanting to be prepared. They don't, you know, I, 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 but I don't think they necessarily understand what it takes to be prepared. And they're looking, you would, as one would think, to the community, to the guy at the gun shop, to the instructor, to the internet, unfortunately, sometimes for, you know, where's, how, what's the best practice? What's the requirement? And unfortunately, as a community, we spend far too much time for reasons like we can go into uh, my theories anyway, we spend far too much time doing things like, well, you don't need to take a class and you don't need to ask permission and it's your right to have a gun and the gun makes you safe. And if you don't have a gun, you're not safe. And therefore having the gun, you're prepared. Good job. Welcome to freedom. And, and it's, we do that. Like, like I said, there's reasons why we do that, but we're doing an incredible disservice to that person. You know, I say that the biggest responsibility that gun owners have is to prevent unauthorized access to their guns, right? So that's the biggest, the biggest responsibility we have on earth as gun owners is that I've got a gun. I need to make sure that people that don't know how to, it works or don't understand the ramifications of it working or have, you know, are drunk or have other reasons why they might not judge what they're, what's going on around them or what they're capable of doing appropriately. Um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why somebody, somebody has malicious intent. They say, I'm going to kill that person. Somebody has suicidal intent. I got to kill myself. Like these are the people we don't want right now to have guns in that moment. And we have a responsibility to prevent that authorized access. We'll go all the way back to the first one. People that don't understand how to use the gun. That includes the new first time gun owner, right? So we need to tell, like, I, I think first of all, if a gun shops out there and you're not selling a, a quick access safe or some kind of a container container to the person who comes in and says, Hey, I want to buy a gun for defense. Don't have one yet. If they're not saying, do you have a quick access safe? Do you know what a quick access safe is? Do you, how are you planning on staging the gun? How are you planning on preventing 
this gun that you want to have ready, how are you going to keep it out of the hands of somebody that shouldn't have it? Have that conversation, but also inform them that, by the way, if you've never owned a gun before and you've never taken that class, you're in that first category of people who shouldn't be trusted in an unsupervised area to be responsible with the gun because you don't even know what you're doing. So you have to take the class to be in the category of responsible gun owner. It doesn't mean you have to pay for it. You might get that for free. You might take an online class. You might do some self-guided training on the range and practice. You know, you don't have to go spend a thousand dollars for for a weekend, but you do have to do something right before I think someone should responsibly stage or carry a gun for defensive use. And we don't we aren't adamant enough about that in the gun community. I totally agree because, you know, I, I was an FFL for 10 years. I've seen my share of new gun owners. And it's so funny because they would they would come in. They, you know, they're looking at guns and just looking at them. They're like. You could tell that they have no idea what they're doing, right? It's like, all right, right, let me show you this stuff. And sometimes these were online purchases, right? They bought them online. They 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 came into the shop, and I did the transfer. I would not let that yep. person out until they at least at least I knew that they knew what to do. The basic, the the extreme basics of this thing, and then going through the whole thing of being a responsible gun owner, and you know, I and I get people's arguments, just like, you you know, people like, you know, I, I don't need to take a class, you know, I shouldn't need to take a class to, to exercise, right? I get that. It has nothing to do with that. That this Absolutely has to do with nothing. responsibility. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is, totally this is, between government yeah. saying you have to take a class and the gun shop guy selling the gun, you know, I, trauma mitigation, right? We do a lot of work with Walk the Talk America. I'm on the board for the, the intersection yep. of, of guns and mental health issues and all that. And, uh, I tell people at the gun counter, like, if you haven't accepted the fact that the gun you're selling could end up, you know, through some act of negligence, killing a kid, through an act of crime, killing yep. someone that the person you're selling it to could take their own life, either accidentally or on purpose. If you aren't, if you haven't accepted that, go, go work at Walmart because you should not be yeah. in that position of response. Because I'll tell you what, I've seen a lot of people get messed up when they've sold that gun and then they find out something bad was done with it or it was a negative outcome and they start blaming themselves. I'm not saying the retail person is responsible for the action, but I am saying you have a responsibility to try to assess whether or not the person you're selling that gun to is capable of using it safely and all that. And that's not a rights. That's not the government getting involved. That's not a red flag law. That's not the government mandating training. It's all of us holding each other and the new gun owner, especially to a, to a reasonable standard and expectation. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing. I, I like to throw out responsible gun ownership. I, 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 that is what I advocate for. You know, I advocate for people exercising their rights, but they do it responsibly. I want as many people into the sport shooting industry responsibly. Um, you know, when I walk up, onto a line at a, at a gun range, I want to know that everybody else is being responsible. I, there's so sure. many people that I've taken to a range that I, you know, I've looked down the line and went, yeah, I'm not going down range yet, even though it was called clear because this guy's still handling a gun. And you go, hey, you gonna put that down? Oh, it's unloaded. <laughs> oh, no, put, put that thing down. Um, and that's the thing with new gun people is they don't know what they don't know yet. So if right. I can right. give them even the smallest bit of knowledge and tell them, look, you need to learn more. Great. You know, 
this is this is what you need to do. You you want to make sure you don't have unauthorized access to that firearm. You want to make sure it's locked up. You you know, just walk through those basics. I've covered my basis. Um, I'm just being a good person. Um, you know, I respect you as a human being enough to say these are just the absolute minimums you need to know. And I I think that's one of the problems we have, especially with you know, I don't like to. Uh, being an independent gun dealer, I do like to bash, uh, bash on big box stores, but there's many big box stores you go walking into and they're just like, they want that sale and they want you out. Yeah, and, but I've, I've also seen the good old boy gun shop with the, the box of old holsters and a dusty pile of gun books that those guys don't want to take. They don't even want the new person in there, right? So they're just yeah, rolling their yeah, eyes true. when someone comes in and asks a decent question. So I, I think at every level, you know, you've got, um, and then you've got the the new kind of boutique gun shops that are really awesome and modern and great, you know, kind of a, the Apple store kind of look, you know, on the show floor, where if you want to come in and buy a, a simple, like $400 simple defensive gun, they kind of look down their nose at you and say, well, have you seen this really sexy $2,500 1911 that you don't need? Yeah. yeah. So we got, you know, there are yeah. problems everywhere. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I don't mind the sale. You can be as aggressive as you want on trying to make that money as a retailer. I, I just want you to do it in a way that also creates a responsible gun owner, especially for that new person, you know? Yeah. Now I'm going to change subject slightly for you because uh, I want to go into your speaking engagements because one of the, best speeches that I've heard you you make, and it's on your YouTube channel. Everybody go check. Uh, I'll have the link down below to his YouTube channel. It's pinned right on the front of your YouTube channel. It's freedom. Uh, freedom isn't safe. Which would yeah. you mind talking a little bit about that speech? Because I, I, I think that's like almost required for a gun owner to listen to. It was an amazing speech. Thank you. Thank you. That was actually, um, it was, it's funny that, that I usually do talk about that pretty strictly in the sense of guns in that case. I think if it's the one I'm thinking that's pinned there, I pinned it there because of the kind of current political climate we're in. And I was speaking at a very conservative, um, oriented, uh, defending freedom summit, um, was put on by second amendment, um, inter, uh, Institute out of DC. And I wanted to, to kind of get, I, as I usually do, I try to be a little bit of a gadfly and, and kind of people in the audience maybe to think a little differently or think a little more critically or deeply, I guess, about some of these, these again, nuanced, complex topics. And we were talking about elections and, and get out the vote and all that stuff. And there's a lot of rah, rah, rah in the room, except, you know, I kind of led into that people, if they watch a speech and then I said, okay, but you, you agree, we got to get out the vote. You, you would do work in your community to get the vote out. You would encourage people to go vote. You might even give people a ride to go vote. Um, you know, who would do that? Raise your hand and you get hands in the air. Okay. Who, so you, okay, you would, you got, you got, you good. Um, what if when the person came to pick you, you know, you said you'd pick them up, give them a ride to go you know, cast their vote in person. Cause that's important. Of course, in that crowd. Yeah, it is. Okay, good. So they'll <laughs> get the, well, what if they came out wearing a shirt for like the other guy? You know? I love that. I, I, I absolutely love that section of the speech because everybody's like, ooh, ooh, no. <laughs> so are you, you, are you really for getting out the vote or you just want your guy to get vote? Right. And, and that's, that's kind of a freedom and safe thing. We can talk about freedom all day long, but again, going again, you we said we only shifted a little bit because it's still this rights and responsibilities. Being free means the responsibilities on you. When when the government or anyone comes in and restricts, like well, I restrict my seven year old daughter's activities, 
because I don't think she has enough responsibility to drive my car. Forget about the legality of it. I'm not letting my seven-year-old drive my car because I don't think she's ready to do that in a responsible way, right? If I had a farm with, with 500 acres up, up where you are, out in the middle of Montana, there's like, you know, six cops per 500 square miles, right? Like, she's not going to get arrested. The reason I wouldn't let her drive on my 500-acre farm is because she's seven, right? Like, like mentally, physically, yeah. just controlling the car. And that has nothing to do with the law whatsoever. So that's where people get... On, on our team, you know, we, we ring again, go back to that idea. You don't, the government can't make you take a course. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take a course. Don't, don't cut off your nose to spite your face in this massive celebration of freedom, right? Open carry would be a good example, right? Like now uh, Montana is one of the places I, I used to do a lot of motorcycle trips and up in Montana is a place where I, I did a motorcycle trip for, a, um, we were up there about a week. We do clover leaves kind of out of, uh, the Missoula area. And, um, that's one of the places where I would open carry while I was out on my bike, you know, but I won't do that in, in Denver when I'm like going to pick up a pizza. Yeah. Like what's the point? Right. So like my rule is if there's yeah. a, if there's a drive through restaurant or a convenience store within a mile um, of where you are, you definitely don't need to be open carrying. Right. And that, that takes care of almost every urban and suburban area in America. And if you're out in the wilderness or you're out in a farm or whatever, open carry, have a good time. So that rights and responsibilities ties into freedom isn't safe. For, for the other side, and this is really important as a, as a gun rights advocate and, and for the people in the audience, I think every gun owner should be a gun rights advocate, even if it just means being proud that you're exercising responsible gun ownership and making sure people know about it, not hiding the fact that you're a gun owner. But um, if you want to be more proactive and more engaged, one of the ways you do this is, is by talking to people, right? Not, not aggressively, but you, you look for opportunities to talk to people rationally and reasonably about guns and gun rights and gun responsibilities. And if we, sometimes people will say things that, and where this phrase came from is one of my go-tos. I was having a conversation with a, a great friend of mine, goes all the way back to high school. He married a woman from Europe and she was talking about kind of the, you know, all the cliches, European woman, um, upper middle class, uh, in a, lived in a metropolitan area. Uh, you know, I just can't, uh, the guns, there's too many guns in America, you know, and I'm not the guy that says, you know, you're from Europe, you know what you're talking about. I'm trying to have it, and it's my buddy's wife, right? So I've been trying to have a rational conversation. She says, well, I don't think, you know, my kids should have to go to school scared. I go, well, neither do I. I think that's how you set it up, right? You, I don't know what you're saying that they're, go, they're scared to go to school. But, you know, just the fact that there's guns. She goes, well, I understand when I grew up in Europe, there were guns, you know, we people people had guns, but the government controlled it and they, they had to be kept at the gun range or only the military or police had them. But there were guns all over the place, not guns I'm scared of. I said, okay, so if things are so great, it kind of a little bit, you know, cattily, I guess, you know, why are you choosing to raise your kids in the U.S. instead of over in Europe, right? Well, it then, well, of course, there's other things. It's the freedom and the democracy and the right to express yourself. And that's where I said, well, that freedom isn't safe. And she kind of paused and she's a very intelligent woman. And she kind of thought about it. And, and I could see that it really did sink in in that moment that the freedoms that she celebrates and she enjoys and that she tells her kids that they're so lucky to have makes the world more dangerous. And you can't have both. You can't have freedom and what I would consider the illusion of safety. Um, you have to have freedom with the expectation that there's danger um, and, and there's danger and there's risk that comes with gun ownership and gun use and, and certainly the, the number of guns. I get it. Like, yes, we can draw a line between the number of guns and the potential risk. 
if we have the responsibility in the education, then we mitigate that risk. And that's why there's 400 million guns and, and an almost immeasurably small percentage, something approaching zero every year involved in negative outcomes, right? So that, that's, that's important to remember. Yeah, because it's, I mean, just the whole, I, I, I listened to that speech and I'm just like, this is a completely different area that people are not talking about, right? Um, because I get, I get very sick of hearing, you know, people get out there and they, I'm very, I'm a very easy person to talk to, right? And I love to talk to people, but I hate where people just start arguing. That's one of the things I really don't like about our sport is if you are, if you don't think the exact same way right now about what I'm saying, you're an idiot and I'm going to yell at you. And it's like that we need to <laughs> right. stop. Right. We need to stop, think, pull back, and then understand why we have, you know, our opinion. And this in that speech of yours made me rethink of it, especially when you're talking about the whole thing. Would you would you take someone to the polling place, even though they had a I hate guns shirt on? Right. And right. it was so funny because when you said that, it, it instantly went through my mind was, what would I do? And then the whole audience, the, you, could, you could hear the reaction to the audience and you being up on stage talking about that. You could tell everybody was like, because you had everybody holding their hands up in the audience. Right. And suddenly everybody's like, this. <laughs> you know, right. We couldn't right. see that in the video, but you, you knew that was going on. You and felt it. That right. really, you could felt it. And that really made me rethink a few things. And I really think that's, a great speech just because of that. And, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of guns in that talk, but it, it makes you loop back right. around in your thought process is why do we, think it's why do we yeah. think the way we do? Yes. Explaining so, why is so important. What's your principle? And too many people have, they, they base their actions and their statements, their comics, their, their rhetoric. And in some cases their hyperbole, it's all, it's all preference over principle. Um, this week, one of the yeah. things that I had to call out last night, everybody's upset because San Francisco is saying they're going to authorize their police department to potentially put explosives on a robot um, and then use it like a remote controlled car. Like if they have to go in and stop a, a barricaded subject or whatever that's threatening to kill other people, not not like an active shooter situation, but there's you could imagine as a former law enforcement officer, we've all seen movies, you can imagine situations where you might send a robot in and they're, they're talking about it, how we're going to make this a policy and it will mean that our police officers don't, don't have to move, go into a dangerous situation. And the person that's got the lethal, you know, potential force, they're going to get what they get. And, you know, of course, ah, look at California, they're arming robots, a commie state, ty ty tyranny, blah, blah, blah. It's like people forget that in 2016, the Dallas PD did exactly that. And they didn't announce it to the public years ahead of time and say, hey, by the way, we might do this someday. They just decided to strap some explosives on a robot and send it in there. And they blew a guy up who had just killed a bunch of cops. And during a parade, uh, the, the sniper, people can look it up. It was in 2016. And uh, people conveniently forget that, right? So it's in the gun community and in the freedom community and in the conservative community, it's, oh, California is out of control. And it's like, wait, what's your principle here? Because I'm not sure. Is that, let, me, it may, let me be clear. Is the principle, it's only okay for a law enforcement officer to use lethal force if they themselves are immediately subject to the potential use of lethal force. 
is that is it like a duel? Is that what you're saying? Like, what's your principle that underlies yeah. why this is a bad idea, right? And and it's so you think it's okay? And like, well, I'm asking you why you're mad about it, and and especially in the context of Texas did it first, so you can't just be mad because it's California. Why are you actually mad about this? And what you find out is people don't know why they're mad about it, except some guy on a radio show or on their preferred news propaganda channel said it was bad. Um, in a lot of cases, they don't know the facts. Or, well, I, they want to put they want the robot to have uh, artificial intelligence and decide whether or not it needs to blow itself up. No, that's not true, sir. That is made up crazy talk from QAnon or something <laughs> like that's not what's happening. Yeah. So people either they don't understand it, they don't take the time to really think up through, they don't think about the underlying principle, they would just prefer, because they've probably never been to San Francisco, but they heard it was really bad. They'd prefer that the San Francisco. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> back. I don't know how much of that you got, but point being, they don't know what they're, they don't really have an underlying principle that they've thought through. They would just prefer that the San, Fr San Francisco police not have robots with bombs, with, with no real thought of yeah. principle. When you've challenged people, Generally, as you said, they get mad and they want to call you stupid. But every once in a while, um, much like like you, the experience you had, I do run into people who say, you know, that caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for that, but it made me think. I don't even care if you agree with me at the end of it, as long as we understand each other. That's the key. We don't have to. We can. I don't agree to disagree. I want to understand you. Then I may disagree or not, but at least I can explain to somebody else the opinion you hold. I think that's the key to discussion is understanding what the other person's saying. And if you're not even trying to explain yourself because you think it's my God-given right, I don't have to explain it. Well, that, then you're not, you're not interested in helping. One, one of the things, like, uh, you know, that whole God-given right, and uh, when, when you result to that, that's kind of like resulting to F you in an argument, right? When you drop that, yes, you lost, you're done. You, yeah, right? Um, yeah. And I understand you've already stopped frustrated. Yeah. You, you, you have shut down. You're done. You know? Um, and that's one thing that drives me nuts about the, uh, about things. You know, we get inside our own echo chambers and, you know, whether it's left, right, or whatever political party or affiliation that you are with, you get into that echo chamber, we get, you, you get all spun up. And then when you have to, you know, engage with somebody who is not in that echo chamber. They've been in their echo chamber, and they're, and they're just bumping heads. Um, and that those are the type of things I don't like. I, I really want people to just stop, think, get a coherent thought, and then make an argument. You know, present your case. Don't argue your case. Yeah. Present it to them and say, "Hey, look, this is this is why I think this, that, and the other." Um, and that's, we just, we that's just don't really do that anymore. It's unfortunate. We don't, we don't. Um, yeah. and, and you, you think kind of like, like, we like don't. Hannity is a good example, right? In the conservative community, gun community, everybody knows who, who, you know, Sean Hannity is. Yeah. Well, um, Hannity and, and Combs used to be one of those kind of classic, you know, news one side versus the other, have a conversation, maybe have a debate, maybe have an argument, but present both sides and, and hear the arguments. That's what he used to do. There's not any money in that anymore, right? And in, and in fact, since no. the Fairness Doctrine, uh, the Fairness Act was was struck down by Reagan, now the news channels don't have to present both sides. So you have these polarized, as you said, echo chambers, and now you just get Hannity kind of 
making stuff up with no one there to say, whoa, whoa, whoa where, where'd you even come up with that idea? Like, what's the citation there? And, uh, and, and people get a lot of misinformation. Uh, part of it's the nature of the structure that we now have, because in, you know, like with the internet, with social media, theoretically, it makes it possible for you to know everything, right? You can see every, you can find everything that's out there. Unfortunately, it also makes it possible for you to find anything. So if you want to believe the world's yeah. flat, you can go find a couple of YouTube channels that'll give you the talking points, right? If you want to believe that, you know, uh, all the money in the world is controlled by six people who meet in a basement in Prague, then you can find that <laughs> website too, you know? And uh, that's the unfortunate part of it. And, uh, you know, one of the things I liked about that's about that speech of yours is you talked a little bit about um political leanings right mm -hmm. you know each party has their own you know political i want to say rights but essentially rights you know republicans are you know the second amendment it's really big to them and then you know the left is this and that and that's one of the things i don't like you know you're you're like generally i'm you know I, I'm an independent. I don't think one part or the other. And that's one of the things I really don't like out there right now is like, just because I'm a Republican, I'm going to think X, Y, Z because the party tells me to do that. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of that engage, out there. They need the some critical identity politics yeah. or, or um, I, you know, ideology over ideas, that kind of thing. Um, yes. I, I say, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fiscal conservative um, strong defense, social, liberal, independent, you know, like there's not, there, there isn't a party for me, right? There isn't, a, I think the truth yeah. is there isn't a party for a lot of Americans. Uh, I think both parties. Having fun, fun internet today. Right where you got Sorry, the role too. On the, <laughs> uh, so um, the, the, anyway, I, th I think that, that I don't have a party. I think most people um, don't have a party anymore but they they want to right like people want to we want to be on the winning team we want to be on a team and be part of a tribe so people sort of hold their nose at the parts of one of the two major parties they don't like um people say they're single issue voters i don't think such a thing exists you know if someone says i only vote on gun issues and i said okay we're gonna have a 90 percent income tax universal health care universal schools um, universal housing everybody's gonna be but whatever gun you want all day long gun freedom are you in and you know they're not right so so you're not a yeah. one issue voter yeah. so just knock it off um but i do think it's important to realize that there's there's so many people in the that vote democrat because they do want uh, maybe, maybe better universal health care coverage they do want uh more expansion of universal uh, principles of education across the country more standardized stuff whatever it is they want right that the democratic party maybe they're for um identity freedom and sexual freedom and marriage freedom and all that kind of freedom that conservative people hate right they want they want to say they're for freedom in the republican party but conservatives don't want any of that kind of freedom so when when you when you're when you're voting democrat for the things you're voting for that you like there's a lot of those people that own guns. There's a lot of those people who come to firearms classes. There's a lot of people who are competitive shooters who have concealed carry permits. So they're clearly holding their nose at the gun control or anti-gun aspects of the Democratic Party as it exists today in our country. And what I'm saying is, you know, if if we on the side that generally votes more conservatively say, hey, person who votes more Democrat left leaning and you hold your nose on the gun thing, we like you. As a human being, we're, 
we respect you as a citizen of our country. We believe that your vote is the same as our vote, and that we, you're probably casting for the same kind of valid moral and intellectual reasons that we cast our votes for, validly for moral and intellectual reasons. We disagree with you um, on a lot of those things. That's okay. But since you and I agree on guns, how about we find a way to get your party to not be so hard on the whole gun thing, right? Let's take gun control out of the platform of the Democratic Party. Like, that's possible. But me, when we're over here, like, ah, if you vote, if you don't vote Republican, you hate America and you should move to Canada and also you're a bad person. Well, now what's the person over there going to do? They're not going to tell people they own guns, much less lobby for less gun control being talked yeah. about in the Democratic Party, much less let the officials they're casting votes for know or the ones that they're funding know, hey, I don't want you to be pro-gun. Because in their in their house, if they stand up and say, hey, I'm actually pro-gun, I don't want gun control, they're going to get booed and hissed and, and exiled, right? Just like someone in the conservative movement who might stand up and go, no, actually, I'm, I think that's a woman's choice if she wants to have an abortion, and I don't mind two dudes kissing, and you know that's okay with me. They're going to get booed and hissed, right? At CPAC, so yeah. we have that real problem of identity politics and and a lack of freedom of thought and a lack of real um, thought diversity. When again, I keep coming back to this theme: the world is more complex than that. There's a lot of thought diversity inside of the hundred million gun owners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, you know, I, I look at some of these things, some of these arguments people have, I look at it and go, if that is the only thing that you're worried about in the world of problems that we have, man, you live a great life. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is that. I mean, I'm super worried about those two dudes like a thousand miles from me kissing. That's my thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, if that's really? what you're worried about, man, good for you, you know? <laughs> and and those two dudes kissing if they're really worried about how many guns i have in my house like go you know yeah. apparently one of you is not a kisser i'm not sure like get your get go distract that dude like there's just we just spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are doing when we don't need to yeah it it doesn't harm you just let it go you know um I like to say that whatever moral thing that you're doing is between you and whatever God or deity you may or may not believe in, right? Um, that's between you and I don't care. Uh, just just go on with it, you know? Um, I've got other problems I need to worry about. I got to worry about, you know, paying bills, keeping yeah, lights yeah. on. Um, and everybody yeah. does, honestly. It's a distraction, yeah. right? It's really easy to, I'm going to be mad at the television. I'm going to be mad at the internet. I'm going to be mad about that story I heard about something that happened that I don't even know if it really happened. But if it happened, I'm super mad about it. I don't have to worry about not being happy in my marriage or my kid failing yeah. geometry or whatever I really should yeah. be focused on, you know? Yeah. So uh, one thing I want to talk about is your mission to build a gun in every state. You got the 80% bug yeah. that bit you. Talk a little bit about that, because you went to the gun makers match. I think, isn't that where you kind of started learning about the 80%? So I, I run the gun makers match. Um, I, I started the gun makers match, actually, I think sitting at this table on a, on a text string uh, when I got into 3D printing. So when I got into 3D printing, particularly 3D printing gun frames and gun parts and got to know that community a little bit better, what I found out was that one of their frustrations was that they like some ranges would say, hey, you can't bring 3D printed guns to the range. Right. Which having been on, you know, 
a lot of ranges all over the U.S. and the world, I understand where the gun range might be coming from and saying, I don't know what that is. And I don't know if it's safe. Yeah. And I know, you know, so the, the point is we got to educate people outside of the 3d printing community about what 3d printed guns and make, you know, make it home, do it yourself, gun kits, including the 80 percenters, what that's all about. And at the same time, that was, a, that was about the time that all the rhetoric started getting spun up about ghost guns. Right. And that became a gun control yeah. thing. Cause it's kind of low hanging fruit, right? These ghost guns for them. Cause yep. Assault weapon bans, that's not going anywhere. Universal background checks isn't going anywhere. Let's talk about these ghost guns, which, you know, people making their own guns has been around much longer than people buying manufactured guns, right? So that's that's important yeah. to remember. Um, once we get to the point of talking about the guns, it's like, well, we need to normalize this because here's the problem. At that time, if you Googled like 3D printed guns and you looked at the YouTube videos and the imagery, if you got into the, the chat rooms, if you got into that community, what you saw was unfortunately a lot of like stuff that was real easy for the media to point at and say, look, this isn't good. Yeah. You know, guys in balaclavas acting like the only reason you would ever make your own gun is just so the government doesn't know. And you know, a lot of that kind of stuff, right. Which is cute and fun. If you're like a 22 year old dude living at home, working at Best Buy and it's kind of makes you edgy, but for a guy who's trying to like normalize do-it-yourself guns and gun making at home, we need to show some other imagery, right? So people using their real names, people saying, you know, I, I mean, 90, I, I would say that something well over 99% of people who make their own guns also fill out form 4473s, do background checks and buy guns, right? There's very, very, very few people on the planet who only have guns they've made themselves. And certainly inside of the US, there's very few people. So the gun makers match, the idea was to give a place for gun makers from around the country to get together and social activity, exchange notes, you know, learn each other's real names instead of the online code names, and also show the hobby and the fun and the creativity and make it also obviously a media event. So we had... Yeah, Vice News did, actually did a pretty decent story on that. Did a great little mini documentary, you know, it was um, 30 minutes long and, and it kind of the guy came into town and he learned how to do the gun. He had his own computer, his own downloaded files. He printed his own gun out. And then of course I helped him uh, learn how to kind of put it together and get it running. And then he competed and he actually came in like third place in one of the divisions. He wasn't a bad shooter. He had shotguns before, but he's from California. He didn't own a gun. And, uh, you know, he, he, of course he couldn't keep the gun. So that was, that was part of the storyline of how the convoluted the laws are. Um, I thought it showed very accurately and very fairly what uh, most of the gun make community and certainly the 3D printing communities about. But part of my advocacy for um, gun making and do-it-yourself gun making and my promotion and kind of like fun, try to get people out to do it, is as I travel around, I introduce people to, I tell, you know, if I'm doing a class, a two or three day class somewhere, I'll tell the, the guys there if, if it's legal in their state, like get get some, you know, kits, the Polymer 80 kits are the, the most common get yourself some kits and get yourself some parts and I'll, we'll run a gun building event one evening after dinner, you know, we'll train all day and go get some dinner and then we'll sit around and build guns. And that, then all of a sudden I looked up and I, I had built guns in like a dozen States. Right. So then it was like, okay, I built guns in a dozen States. Why don't I go, go for it. And uh, right now I'm sitting at 21 and I have uh, plans to do two more States before the end of the year. So I'll uh, maybe even get closer to 25. But um, my first gun I made actually was all the way back in the 90s with it with an 80 percenter. And it was kind of a disaster, but you know, it happened. So then it turned into how many states can I build in um, in this year? And then eventually, you know, so I have this picture that like at, at the Avidity Arms headquarters um, in North Carolina, where I'm, you know, 
bringing a traditional gun to market, traditionally manufactured gun to market. I'm picturing this wall uh, display with like, you know, a, a eight by 10 foot map with all these guns that I've built um, on display behind plexiglass, um, just because it'll be fun and kind of cool to have as a, uh, as a talking point. So yeah, I, I try to encourage other people to do it. And, and that's one of the ways um, it's still completely like easy to do um, no hoops to jump through whatsoever. And uh, I think 37 or 38 states. And then there's another set of states where you have to jump through some extra hoops. Um, like Massachusetts would be one of them where you, you, have seven days from when you make a gun to report the gun uh, because all of their yeah. sales are tracked, right? There's no private sales there. So you report the gun in California, you ask permission ahead of time and get assigned a serial number. And then when you make the gun, you, you put the serial number on the gun. So there's some places where you have to jump through some hoops, but uh, for the most part, you know, it's still, still very, very much easy to do. And uh, the, the headlines that came out in August of 2022, you know, Joe Biden bans ghost guns, not true. Um, the, the death of ghost guns was um, incredibly over and misreported. Um, in fact, there was no change in the federal law about individual private gun making for your own use. What changed was the way the people that make the kits and the tools to help complete the gun, the way they can sell them and the way retailers can sell them. Um, there's some other nuances to that, but it's important for you to understand that the, the kit building and 3D printing completely uh, allowed. Rob, we're running, I know you got another meeting coming up. Where can people find you? Where can they find more information about you and, and contact you? You know, we've talked about a lot of things. If people want to um, learn about the, the gun rights stuff, um, 2AO.org, um, Second Amendment organization, um, gunrights.info um, has over 60 position points on a variety of different gun rights issues that we've come up with there. Um, people can learn about the training information and how we approach um, personal defense training, not just from me, but from an incredible team of instructors at personaldefensenetwork.com. If you're curious about the Gunmakers Match, you can check that out at gunmakersmatch.com. And in 2023, as I just alluded to, we will be bringing the uh, Vidian Arms uh, PD-10. Um, we'll finally be hitting the market. Uh, so you can learn more about that as well. Um, Vidian Arms um, on all the social media stuff. And of course, all of my social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, P-I-N-C-U-S-R-O-B, um, at Pincus Rob is usually my... Uh, tag my way to find me instagram and twitter and, all that. and for everybody watching and listening i'll have all those links down in the description so that way if you're driving don't try to write this stuff down as you're driving just go back and look at the description we'll have it there for you now rob what i'd like this to finish up with is a speed round with everybody it's just real simple just five questions uh four of them are this or that and one thinking question so rifle or pistol Semi-auto or revolver? Semi-auto. Iron sights or red dot? Iron sights. Now for range shooting, just regular planking and having fun, would you rather buy an AR or build an AR? Build an AR. And regardless of who your students are, doesn't matter what background they have, it's in shooting, political, anything. What's the biggest bad habit or misconception of a shooting concept that you're always correcting as an instructor? 
that the trigger press changes depending on what you're trying to do with the gun. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate that you took some time out of your, your day to talk to us. And, and uh, it was an absolute joy. This is really kind of a bucket list thing for me is to, to actually get you on the podcast and talk. Well, it's an honor. I appreciate it. I appreciate you doing the work to, to get other people talking and thinking and, and sharing not only my thoughts, but everybody, including your own, um, that you share with people. I think um, it's, it's an underappreciated uh, work. There's so many people doing it now that somehow people I think, take it for granted, but I know how much work goes into it. And I appreciate that you're uh, letting me be part of your show. Now, for those of you on the video side, you probably saw a bunch of cuts. Audio side, you probably heard some really weird transitions there. It's because we were having some internet problems. So I had to cut those things out. So that way we made a you know halfway decent podcast. But man, regardless of the technical glitches, I had an awesome time talking to Rob. He's an amazing guy. I mean, you know, I asked him to come on the show and you know, Rob doesn't really know me from Adam. But he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. I mean, he was on an airplane coming back from Mexico, sending me messages. Yeah, let's, let's do this. And then uh, finally, when we started setting up times, he was coming back into the U.S. on the East Coast. It, 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 he's just an amazing guy, man. He's just super amazing. And, you know, some people get triggered by him. And what's weird is that I think people that get triggered by him are just not used to having, well, someone push him outside the box. Rob is a very independent thinker. I'm a very independent thinker. And that's what I really love about talking to him because it's very rare that I get to talk to somebody who's just not so polarized. I mean, I do get some people that I get to talk to, you know, professionally, personally, and on the podcast that are not extremely polarized, but let's face it. I mean, generally people are one side or the other. Rob and I kind of fit right in that middle where we think differently about things. And you heard that towards the end. I mean, we were talking about, you know, why I said if some things that people get triggered about, if that's the worst thing that they have to deal with, they got an awesome life. I mean, seriously, I really don't care what someone does as long as they're not hurting someone else. I mean, hey, as long as you're not like kicking puppies and throwing cats off of bridges, you sound like a pretty decent person to me. I want you to think outside the box. If something triggers you, why does it trigger you? We really, we don't want to go into an argument about our rights and then just do these, you know, last stand type of comments. And what I mean by last stand is, you know, it's a God-given right or, you know, you know, out of my dead cold hands, I bet you, a good 90% of the people that say out of my dead cold hands would totally cave if law enforcement showed up. Think about that. So look, just think outside the box. If something triggers you, analyze what triggers you. Center yourself and then continue the fight. Because you don't want to go into a fight and just do an F you. Because when you do that F you, you lost. And doing these whole little mantras of out of my dead cold hands and stuff like that, 
That's, that's an FU statement. Guys, seriously, we need to take our rights like in our own hands. We do need to continue the fight. And um, yeah, I mean, those of you know, I'm pretty big on, you know, bashing politicians. Uh, I am. I mean, it's not that I hate politicians. I mean, the, I, there's politicians I like, but the second they get in office, I don't trust them. And you shouldn't either. So let's band together as an industry and let's move our rights forward, but let's do it logically. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there and look forward to talk to you again soon.